My name is Lily Madden, and I'm a proud Aranda, Bunjalung, Kalkadun woman from Gadigal country. The Daily Oz acknowledges that this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people and pays respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We pay our respects to the first peoples of these countries, both past and present. Good morning and welcome to the Daily Oz. It's Monday, the 8th of January. I'm Sam. I'm Billy. Welcome back, everybody. It's been two weeks since we were sitting in the Daily Oz podcast studio. And whilst you've enjoyed TDA's summer series, the news definitely has not stopped. On today's podcast, TDA editor Billy Fitzsimons and I will recap the last two weeks of news and bring you up to speed with what you need to know as we kick off another year around the sun. This feels like when you're in the Big Brother house and you've been locked in a house for 90 days and then they show you a montage of all the news you've missed. Let's get into all of that. Before then, here's the headlines. Some disappointing news for tennis fans ahead of next week's Australian Open. Rafael Nadal has pulled out of the tournament, citing a micro-tear on a muscle he sustained in his Brisbane international match against Australian Jordan Thompson. The 22-time Grand Slam winner said, Right now, I am not ready to compete at the maximum level. I'm flying back to Spain to see my doctor, get some treatment and rest. A man suspected of stabbing South Korea's opposition leader during a news conference last week has been formally charged with attempted murder. Lee Jae-mung was stabbed in the neck with a camping knife last Tuesday and is, quote, smoothly recovering from surgery, according to doctors who spoke to Korean media. Preliminary police investigations have revealed the suspect was following Lee since at least June last year and has a history of extreme political views. Eight people who attended a rave in Melbourne are in a critical condition following a suspected drug overdose. Ambulance Victoria said seven of the eight patients were placed in an induced coma and currently require assistance to breathe because of what they say is a reaction to an MDMA derivative drug. They say the incidents highlight the need for better drug education and have warned those in the state to exercise caution when having the drug. And today's good news, the first good news of the year, Taylor Swift has now passed Elvis Presley as the solo artist with the most weeks at number one on the Billboard 200 music charts. Swift has now spent 68 weeks at the top of the charts across her 13 chart-topping albums. There is only one group ahead of her, the Beatles. Sam, you and I are going to Taylor Swift's concert this year. Yeah. Together. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) Everything I've ever wanted. (laughs) Now, Sam, the biggest story over the last few weeks has continued to be the growing conflict in Israel and Gaza. Can you give me a sense of what has been happening over the last few weeks? It definitely continues to be in the headlines. It's an incredibly tough story to summarise in a few short sentences, and it's really quite disturbing. But I'll do my best to establish some of the key context and facts for those who've perhaps dipped out of this story over the last couple of weeks of summer and are now kind of tapping back in. So it's been nearly three months since the start of this latest phase of violence between Israel and Hamas, and that phase began on the 7th of October when Hamas launched an attack on Israel, killing roughly 1,200 people and capturing about 240 hostages. Hamas is the body that controls Gaza and is listed as a terrorist organisation by the Australian government. After the October 7 attack, Israel declared war on Hamas, vowing to destroy them, and it is said it will not stop fighting until all hostages are returned and it completes its aim of eliminating Hamas. 
Now, over the past few weeks, the death toll in Gaza has continued to climb every day. According to data cited by the United Nations, more than 22,000 people have been killed in Gaza since early October. Israel's war on Gaza has led to what the UN describes as a humanitarian crisis. According to the UN, nearly 2 million people in Gaza, that's about 85% of the population, have been internally displaced. About 150,000 people are described as having nowhere to go. According to the World Food Programme, 2.2 million people, nearly the entire population of Gaza, are suffering from acute food insecurity. Last week, Israel announced it was withdrawing some troops from Gaza, particularly reservists, to prepare for what it described as prolonged fighting. And then last week, Lebanon became a more prominent part of this story. Why was that? So mid last week, Hamas confirmed its deputy leader, Saleh al-Aruri, was among seven members killed in an airstrike in Beirut, which is the capital of Lebanon. And if you kind of look at a map of the Middle East, you've got Gaza in the bottom left corner of Israel and Lebanon is in the top. And this strike led to the highest profile Hamas figure to be killed in the three months since the start of the war. Now, Lebanese and Palestinian bodies both blamed Israel for the attack, but Israel has not taken official responsibility for it. Lebanon's prime minister condemned the strike. He said it's, quote, a new Israeli crime that definitely aims to bring Lebanon into a new phase of confrontations. And I guess the fear here is that more and more countries in the region are now more heavily involved in this conflict. Now, this isn't the first time there's been tensions on the border between Israel and Lebanon. There's been tensions growing since the 7th of October attack. The south of Lebanon is controlled by Hezbollah, which is a politically powerful armed group in Lebanon and a key ally to Hamas. And they said the killing was, quote, a dangerous development in the course of the war. Hezbollah is also listed as a terrorist organisation by Australia. So that's a very brief overview of what happened over the past few weeks. Of a very complex situation. And as always, as the war continues to develop and as the humanitarian crisis in Gaza continues to worsen, we will keep you updated. Now, Sam, let's turn to Jeffrey Epstein because the release of some historical court documents late last week revealed some more information about people in the late sex offenders' orbit. What did we learn? So these documents dropped on Thursday. There was some good anticipation leading up to their release. We knew it would come sometime last week. We didn't know exactly when. And then out they came, a big PDF file of hundreds and hundreds of pages. Just quickly, some context for those who don't really know who he is. Jeffrey Epstein was a well-known American hedge fund manager and a convicted sex offender. He died in his jail cell at age 66 in 2019 while awaiting a trial on federal sex trafficking charges, and his death was ruled a suicide. But importantly, he was known to be friends with an array of high-profile politicians, celebrities, and wealthy men. Now, these court documents that came out last week had been previously sealed to hide the names of victims and witnesses, but also then associates and friends of Epstein. And we saw some really big names in these documents. It included former presidents Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, as well as Prince Andrew, who's the second son of Queen Elizabeth II. Now, it wasn't all new news. Many of the people named in the documents had already been named publicly as associates of Epstein. And the other important point here is that being named in the documents doesn't necessarily mean they're accused of any wrongdoing. So, for example, I said that Donald Trump was named in the documents before, but the mentions of him were very benign. 
I also saw a headline that said that Cameron Diaz was named, but when I did a control F on her name, it was someone saying, did you see Cameron Diaz? And the answer was no. So you'll see some headlines where they say lots of famous names, but as you said, the context of how they're mentioned is important. Exactly. So what were the important things that these documents actually said? Well, one of the big takeaways was some details we learned about how Bill Clinton is referenced. One alleged victim of Epstein's, Joanna Soberg, testified that Epstein told her, quote, Bill Clinton likes them young, referring to girls. Now, Clinton is not accused of wrongdoing in the specific documents and said in a statement in 2019 that he knew nothing about the terrible crimes of Epstein. Now, Soberg also claimed Prince Andrew, quote, put his hand on my breast while they posed for a photo at one of Epstein's houses. Prince Andrew has also repeatedly rejected allegations of wrongdoing in connection to Epstein. He settled a lawsuit in 2022 without admitting any wrongdoing, where it was alleged Epstein had arranged for Prince Andrew to sexually abuse and rape a 17-year-old. One reference we didn't see coming was that Soberg also said she saw Michael Jackson at Epstein's house in Palm Beach. When asked further if she massaged him, she said, I did not. And that was just the first batch of documents that came out. There's going to be more, yeah. Yeah, There's expected to be a lot more. So again, we'll keep you updated on that as that story develops. Now, Sam, if we look ahead to 2024, it is expected to be a record-breaking year for elections around the world. I think it's something like 50% of the world's population is going to be participating in an election this year. Now, one big news event that we have all been watching is, of course, the US election, which is happening in November of this year. What are the latest developments on that election? Well, I think the US election is becoming a story of the mountain of legal dramas facing former President Donald Trump. He's shaping up to be the Republican nominee set to face current President Joe Biden in the election in November. And about a week ago, the US state of Maine disqualified Trump from appearing on its ballot for the presidential election. And this all comes after the state of Colorado did the same thing earlier this month. One of our last episodes of last year was about what happened in Colorado and why that decision there could set a precedent that can be duplicated in other states. So I'll throw that episode link in today's show notes. But essentially, there's this big problem facing Donald Trump, and that problem is the 14th Amendment of the US Constitution, which forbids anybody who's previously held civil or military office and has engaged in an insurrection from running for high office. Now, as we know, Trump is accused of engaging in an insurrection on the 6th of January, 2021, the anniversary of which was just over the weekend, when his supporters stormed the US Capitol to try and stop the certification of Joe Biden's win in 2020. It's important to note, though, I think, Sam, that Trump has said that he will be appealing those decisions. So Definitely. We're going to be seeing a lot of headlines with the words Trump, appeal and court. Yeah. And it will be going to the Supreme Court, who, as we know, has a conservative majority. So it will be very interesting to see what happens there. Now, I want to move to what has happened in Australia. So can you give me a sense of what has happened here at home in the last fortnight? Well, there's been a very familiar story of an Australian summer filled with wild weather and really damaging local communities. I saw hail three times over the summer break. Yeah, it seems like most of the country experienced some sort of volatile weather. I, I would say, though, that Queensland has been the hardest hit and there continues to be a major rebuilding effort there on the ground in areas of the state, particularly the southeast around the Gold Coast. 
And late last week, the Australian Defence Force arrived on the ground in those areas that were still without power after the storms to help with the cleanup. Now, there was also the death of an Australian Olympian. What can you tell us about that? A really sad story. So the death of Melissa Hoskins. She was a 32-year-old Australian Olympic cyclist and she died after she was hit by a car just before New Year's Eve in Adelaide. South Australia police put out a statement saying a man known to the woman was charged for allegedly driving the vehicle that hit her. Now, the police didn't name the man. However, it's been widely reported by media outlets that Hoskins' husband, fellow Olympian Rowan Dennis, was the person arrested for allegedly causing her death. Such tragic news, and it's one, again, I'm sure we will hear a lot more about with the man charged, expected to be in court in March. Shifting gears now, there was another news story that I saw everywhere. Denmark has a new queen. Yes, and I actually would put this in the bucket of an Australian news story because Denmark's queen announced she will retire from her position in a surprise New Year's Eve TV address. I saw some footage of people watching the TV address in pubs and there was an audible gasp as she made that announcement. And she's going to be succeeded by her son, Crown Prince Frederick, and his wife, who is Australian-born Crown Princess Mary. And you obviously can't mention that couple without mentioning their origin love story, which is Prince Frederick met, who is now Princess Mary, at a bar while in Sydney for the Olympics in 2000. It was, yeah, one of the greatest love stories of Australian (laughs) history. One that we love to explain at any chance that we get. Okay, so it was a very big fortnight of news. Is there anything that happened over the last few weeks that made you smile? I think we need it after that round of news stories. It hasn't exactly been the easiest few weeks for the world. I want to bring you one pick of my story that made me smile over the summer, and that's the story of a 13-year-old from Oklahoma who became the first known person to ever beat the game Tetris. Specifically the NES version. Okay, you interesting. You have to be specific you in are the comments. <laughs> well, I've read the comments and you have to be very careful. It's the NES version. Well, he played the NES version for approximately 38 minutes before reaching the game's kill screen, and that's when the code that sits behind the game reaches a limit and the game ends. He's thought to be the first human to ever get to that stage. Only bots and artificial intelligence have been able to beat the game since the game was released in 1989. And he dedicated his win to his late father, Adam, who died last month. And if you want to see a video of it, it is on our Instagram page. Pure joy. You really cannot watch it without smiling. He is so excited. I don't think I've ever seen someone ever so excited. It's it's how I feel after a podcast with you, Billy. (laughs) On that note, thank you very much, Sam. And thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Daily Odds. We cannot wait to bring you the news this year and break down everything you need to know as clearly as we can. We'll be back tomorrow, but until then, have a good day.